Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point, wow. The Fates, the gods are with the gods. Tickets, please. Number one tickets, please. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum. Uh, it's exciting to be here for another week. I'm Emma Race. I will be your captain for the entirety of the journey. And sitting next to me are my leather-poisoned friends. How are you, Dr. Kate Sia? Oh, hi. Hi there, Captain. I'm good. Does that make me first mate or something? Lieutenant. That'll do. Something like that. How are you, Nicole Hayes? Uh, best week ever. I'm really good. Oh. Very excited about this ticket holder, Bizzo, but oh, we'll get back to that. We will get to that. How are you, Lucy Race? I am really good. Happy to be here and looking forward to the VFL women starting. That is exciting. Felicity Race, how are you? I'm good. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. And Alicia sometimes. Pumped. She's pumped up, <laughs> baby. She's so pumped. So I'm not going to carry on about it, but we were made the number one ticket holders of the um, new Box Hill Hawks VFL women's team during the week, which is so exciting. And for anyone playing along at home, there was we were presented with a jumper um, which had a number one on it. So one jumper, but it had six head holes. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering how we were going to make that work. I think mathematically, and you know statistics and maths aren't my strong suit, but it's like... What are we? We're one point point one six 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 ticket holder each. Yeah, yeah. We do a timeshare thing. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll come back and talk about that because the VFL Women's does kick off this week, which is going to be an actually a new vibe for them. I would imagine going into this competition post AFLW. But let's talk AFLM just for a minute and kick it off with a new combine. I'm making the joining up hands. A combine of two formerly crap segments, which we're going to put together. Two negatives, making a positive. Welcome, Kate Sear, with Ladder and Omen Watch. Yeah, well, I don't know. Two crap segments doesn't necessarily make a positive. It might just make an even worse segment than before. So, yeah, I wanted to combine Omen Check by popular demand, and um, my previous segment of Ladder Watch. And again, to just share with you three omens this week, but the first of which involves the ladder. So I have to thank, first of all, one of our listeners, Bridget Jolly, who brought this to our attention on the weekend. So she had a look at the ladder at the end of the the weekend's round and pointed out that the win-loss record for teams 1 to 9 mirrors that of teams 10th to 18th, so that the the ladder is a mirror of itself, if you get me. Oh. Okay, so Adelaide's 6 and O, whereas Sydney is on the bottom, Speaking O and 6 there. and so forth, and it, it goes all the and way mirrors through. mirrors are bad luck. So the ladder is... Well, it's <laughs> Exactly. I, trust, you I try not to mirror. use them. 
Nicole Hayes is catching what I'm throwing. So the latter is a palindrome, okay? This is the second palindrome, palindrome of the season that I'm aware of because the opening game of the year, Carlton and Richmond, had 73,137 attendees, okay? So this is really, really messing with my... Um, palindrome, yeah? <laughs> my palindrome. <laughs> I've got palindromitis. The second omen is, again, from Giggs, who um, gave us the hot tip last week. So St Kilda played Hawthorne on the weekend and St Kilda beat Hawthorne 19-16-130 to 7-13-55, the exact same scoreline as when those two teams played in 1992. So that's the first two kooky omens. And the third one is that uh, North Korea tested a ballistic <laughs> missile on the weekend. Why are we laughing? Hang on. That's awful. Hang on. It's, it's nervous release. This is important. They realised after a while that it was accidentally heading to Russia. That can happen. So they detonated it in midair. Okay. And that yeah. little happy event coincided with Donald Trump's 100th day in office, which is a disturbing What's that feature do for footy? another thing. Well, I mean, this is, this is it. It's the end of the world. The You're end hearing of the it world. here first. Maybe they detonated it at the highest point. <laughs> <laughs> and then it sprayed across the face. <laughs> but mathematically, with the scores being the same, that's, got to, that's like people uh, underestimating how much uh, you're going to have in common with a birthday. So if you walk into a room of 100 people, People, you're going to sh- the chances of sharing a birthday are extremely Can, high. Are you bringing science to this conversation? <laughs> she's she's been right trying now. for months. Now look what's happened. You are well, a that, science and that's kind of bizarre though because the only person I know that's born on the same day as me is Billy D. Williams, who plays Lando Calrissian in Star Wars, and him and I have never been in the same room. It'd be nice if we were. Anyway, yeah. that's Omen Check and Ladder Watch combined. Bam. Awesome. We could have made it a triple header because Lucy is also back with a new segment with her with her favourite segment, Banner Watch. Banner Watch. (laughs) (laughs) So this was um, we're returning to Banner Watch because there's because we're giving the people what they want, isn't that why we're giving the people what they want? There were some smart Alec banners this week. Did you see them? I found the GWS one a little bit interesting because I do you remember last year in the finals the Bulldogs had a banner directed at GWS that said our club was born in blood and boots, not in AFL focus groups. Yes. Yes. Bam, take that. So yes, seven months later. So I like to imagine that the cheer squad at GWS, which I think looks like, I don't know, this is, do they look like the people from Gadigar? You know, oh, in yeah, the white suits in a lab. <laughs> Seven months. They've come up with this <laughs> response. And they came back with AFL focus groups gave us a name, but sheer perseverance, spelt correctly, gave us our game. Oh. And I thought cool. it was I funny. That was, good. that was like yeah. a tit for tat. Yeah. 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 yeah, that works. Yeah, that was good. Um, I thought the St Kilda one was oh that was that wounded me our jacks will be nimble our jacks will be quick saints say thanks for the first round pick oh. cop that hawks they, so, we lost by like a thousand points and it yeah. was the banner that wounded you just clear <laughs> the, fair oh, enough yeah. though i reckon it got into people's heads i think yeah, poetry possibly. poetry has a way of just really getting to you That's so, true. i yeah. think that put josh bruce off his goal that that oh, banner wasn't that <laughs> yeah. a moment when he ran oh. into the uh, Run into gold. the gold but square. You can't, you one can't meter enjoy out. that when you. Well, it's the only highlight. It was for the, the game only for highlight me. for me too. But oh, that poor guy. Yeah, I love it. It was some amazing games. I mean, the Carlton game was exceptional, and I'm. I know that this is me jumping shit, but I was watching the Hawthorne game. We're like, this does not look pretty. 
I'm jumping on a train going straight into the G and I watched the Carlton game for the second <laughs> half. It was so impressive. Wow. It was great. That really young group of boys. There's not enough Silvanis to make the world go round, though. Gosh, how many are and we Daniel up to Rioli, now? I wish we had all Riolis. I wish our whole team was made up of Riolis oh. and Silvanis. <sighs> yeah, get in line. I know, I know we talk about the stats from gigs a lot, but you all need to follow him on Twitter because he did put out a, a stat about that game and said it's now 99 years since the Swans have beaten Carlton at the MCG. I just that's, find that that's bizarre. Bizarre. Isn't that... That's yeah. I, I, you know, I back him because he gets everything right. He, he does. does. That so. flips my lid, yeah. that one. Yeah. I find that, that extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Gary been... Rowan was a, was not a good one out of that, though. That oh. was actually hard. That was really hard to watch. It was hard to watch, wasn't it? it we was, all he, worried for him. Well, mm. yes, he, he had a fairly spectacular incident that resulted in him being knocked out for quite some time. And I guess watching from home, it was utterly, utterly awful. But watching the fallout on social media was really interesting. And there were, I guess, two main things out of that that I wanted to talk about. Um, The first one was that the umpires didn't seem to be aware of what had gone on. Even when a stretch was on the field, play went on. Um, Now, I know that the protocol is that if if they think it's not going to impact play, then that's fine. But there were really odd scenes watching Alex Silvani yelling um, at the umpires. You know, he was really animated about an opposition teammate, mm-hmm. even though the ball was down the Carlton end and actually resulted in a Carlton goal. Yeah. Watching Alex Silvani so upset for this, this you know, competitor on the field. I, I just thought, is there not a point at which the... You know, the umpires up in the stands who are doing the goal reviews could mm. maybe... They're all mic'd up. Why wouldn't they just... I think that they were just sticking to that hard and fast rule that yeah. if it's not going to affect play, they're going to let the play roll on because it was actually in a different quadrant to the ground. But it does affect play. It does like affect... Like if the well, play I know, that's true. Uh, when it's can that I, bad. Can I say, my understanding was, though, that if... I might be wrong about this. I must be wrong. If the stretcher, stretcher comes out, comes mm. out, play must stop. Mm. The funny thing was the stretcher came out really quickly. You know, sometimes yeah, they do a bit of... Yeah, they take a bit of time. This was within a matter of moments. As soon as the trainers saw them, they were calling for the stretcher straight away. So that's the only bit that I thought maybe the umpires didn't realise how quickly the stretcher had come out. Maybe. Because I thought that rule was true. It looks so serious. I know, it looked really serious. Could be fake news, though. And and that was, I guess, the, the second point that it looked horrific and it looked really serious. And, you know, having spoken with people in the past who've talked about what that's like watching a, you know, a loved one on the field. I was actually viewing it from a point of view of, okay, just say I'm a family member of a friend right now and I'm trying to get immediate information on what's going on here. Well, you know, you go to to social media and you have a look and I understand the general public making, you know, comments like, you know, stop the game, there's a dead guy there and, Mm. you know, really appalling things like that. But people say those things. What really struck me was that there was a journalist from AFL Media who it immediately wrote the way Rowan fell on his head neck. That's very similar to how Alex McKinnon landed on his. Yeah. I'm very concerned. Mm. Can you remind our listeners who Alex McKinnon so is? So Alex McKinnon's the, the rugby player who had that horrific instance that, that's resulted in him being a quadriplegic. Mm. Um, well, that, that tweet came out. Within nine minutes, he was up walking mm. and, and everything. And, I, you know, it just concerned me that if you're at home, you don't take any notice of what's going on from you know, the general public. But if there's someone who has AFL media next to their name, maybe we just need to be a little less speculative about what's going on on the field. That's the social media desire to be first. Yeah, absolutely. You know, isn't it like... And retweeted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, yes, Nicole. On the injury front, I just wanted to take a poll here. Who 
is able to watch the injury replay? Like, who's a fan of the injury? No, I'm shaking so, heads. I don't know if I would say I'm a fan. Well, no, but like, but will do, you watch? I do rewatch it. Yeah, I, I do. do. I'm not a fan, but I, I can did watch it. Watch it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can watch it. Yeah, Someone... I, have a, I have a line that's you know when a leg bone gets broken. Yeah, mid, yeah true. You know, that's oh, my line. I can't watch the broken bone. I can watch Doctor Pimple Popper though. <laughs> just yeah, but why. someone gets hit in the biscuit. I just feel for them. <laughs> My um my dearly beloved who will watch UFC and oh. like boxing and blood gushing and doesn't flinch, doesn't, you know, doesn't blink, cannot watch the replay, has to leave the room if it's on a, fo- a football pitch or a football field. I don't understand why that's different. Well, I'm, it's any sport. He watches every sport that there is. And I don't understand why you can watch someone crunch someone's nose when that's the whole point, blood gush and not flinch, but... Seeing a knee wrench or... Is there something weird going on there that I don't understand? Do you think it's more relatable? Like, possibly, you know, as a... You know, as a sports, as, as a sports fan, sports you could probably see yourself maybe running out and having a kick. As opposed but maybe to not punching prob- someone in the face. Probably UFC is not going to be. He's his probably thing. like steeled himself to watch UFC. Yeah. Like he knows what he, he's yeah. he's expecting. That that's he's what you sign up for when yeah, he watches that. Right. He's, he's more like than when you watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> you're yeah, yourself. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Speaking of Game of Thrones, they have some good villains, and uh, Joe Danaher this week went from hero, hero to villain. Pretty quickly. He did Very pretty quickly. quickly, didn't he? I'm wondering if we mozzed him. Oh, I thought you know, last too. week we gave him a big, the you know, we talked him up. We played the song about Edna and, um, you know, he went from the Anzac Day match where the words in the media were things like match winning, rewalt like, you know, the Essendon spearhead to um, the next week where it seemed like the biggest focus on his goal kicking, which was terrible. I mean, his goal kicking was, you know, it was bad. It was one goal six and then out of bounds is not a great day out. But the big focus seemed to be on the fact that it didn't devastate Joe. And at one point he even smiled and then he hugged an ex-teammate. It was fascinating because, you know, we talk about the pressure on these people and players and ways that we could manage pressure. And here's a young guy saying, you know what, it's, it is a game and I'll be okay. And gee, he was hammered for it. I was listening to Tim Watson talking about it. And, you know, one of the things he said was, it, it seems to be a crime to show that you're enjoying yourself out there. <laughs> After constant criticism of dull, boring, mechanical AFL players who show no personality, the moment we see an individual show a degree of difference, none of which was undisciplined or detrimental, we want to howl him down. Mm, and that's so exactly true. what was going damn on. If you do, damn Here if he is you showing his, his spirit and his character and mm. going, wow, I've had a shocking day out, but actually I, I'm... I'm okay. Yeah. And it's- especially in light of, you know, that Gary Rowan incident, I think for me the biggest thing when you see injuries is that it reminds you how the result is actually so unimportant. And at the end of the day, it's a game, it's sport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the most important stuff is the people being healthy at the end of it. It's the tall Danaher syndrome. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> But do you know what? It, it actually reminded me a little bit of, um, do you remember when, was it Gary Pert who had a rug over his knee uh, yes. at a game last yes. year and all these supporters went, that's the kind of attitude that's ruining our club. Uh, this is what came out. Um, you know, Was it crochet? Because I, I understand that. It was crazy. Um, but this is what we hear, you know, Gary Lyon had said um, about Danaher, you know, it's the kind of attitude that's holding him back. That happy-go-lucky attitude that he carries, I think it's affecting his goal kicking. Oh, God. Oh, you know, that's I can't crazy. help but think that people are just scratching around for things to say. Yeah. Mm. Because I heard a lengthy discussion about the need to teach him how to kick. And I thought, 
He kind of forgotten how to kick since last week, week when he kicked six goals or whatever it was <laughs> and in the Anzac. And a couple of and three goals. Yeah. Yeah. Danaher, he's Jeez. born with that, yeah. right? Yeah, that's yes. right. Flowing through he his... came out of the womb kick, yeah, <laughs> totally. kicking knowing goals, how to kick kicking goals. Um, I'm just going to call it really early and say three votes F race already for this week's podcast. For right? oh, really, I really it. brought it today. Have I? I could yeah. probably go now. Does that, <laughs> does that mean that my omen check... Slash ladder watch segment you was a got, stinker. You got reported. <laughs> hey, um, some wonderful news that came out of just happens to be out of the Hawthorne Football Club. We would be talking about this anyway, regardless of the colour of the jumper. But a female CEO now heads up Hawthorne, which is a fantastic appointment. Tracy. Gordry. I need to get across how to say that. Um, reactions, ladies, to see a woman put into this post, and she's a really qualified, perfect candidate. It does feel like there's a significant shift happening here, doesn't it? We're seeing it, and, and that's what we've talked about is you can't be it if you can't see it. So just seeing women coming in at every angle, at every level, and being very visible, it's fantastic. And more clubs get on board. Impressive CV. Oh, her mm. CV was unbelievable. I read through it and couldn't get my head around just how credentialed she was. She's had, um, she's held a number of really senior roles, including as the deputy director or vice president of UCI, which is the International Cycling Union. Uh, she's been on the Australian government's anti-doping review panel. So, and on and on and on it goes. Yeah. She's an Olympian, two-time Olympian. Incredible and really, really exciting, I think. Has she got a left, though? Like, can she kick with her left? <laughs> she could probably important. cycle with both left and right. I'm, sure I'm thinking they're going to get good, like, spin classes going out at Hawthorne. Yes. Now, um, and impressive as well, she must have really wanted the job because traditionally she was a Cats fan. Mm. So you don't make that move if you haven't, you know, That's if you're a big not really leap, committed. Exactly. But let's take a listen to some of the grabs from her press conference, which she nailed. The club was courageous to say that in order to retain and grow, that fresh ideas were needed, that innovation was needed, that success achieved elsewhere in the world of sport outside of the football bubble and in community and business could actually be leveraged for the betterment of the club. I really liked that about the club and as you all now know, Hawthorne really liked that about me. In arriving at the decision to appoint me as the CEO for the next phase of Hawthorne's journey, no stone was left unturned. And as journalists, you would have known that well and truly. That's why it took a while. For me, that meant everything I had was going to be placed on the table. Tracy, uh, you're obviously the first woman to, to be employed as a CEO. What does that actually mean to you I mean, when you think about your career and, and sports administration and how that's changed since you were an athlete yourself? Um, I think a lot about that and there is a first time for everything. Uh, I am delighted to be first and foremost appointed as the CEO of Hawthorne Football Club. What comes with that is I happen to be the first woman appointed as the CEO of a football club and it's in that order that, we, that we're celebrating today. Um, I was the first woman appointed to the board of the International Cycling Union in 116 years and I'm still the only woman on that board. Now that's a tragedy. Um, so what I understand and know about um, these types of milestones is that there comes a lot of responsibility of being first. And Hawthorne Football Club um, this season understands what it's like to be first because when you're not always first, it's hard. Mm. 
Right. So leading from the front sometimes seems like the easy place, but it's actually not. Um, what, but what I would say, importantly, is Australia is a very, very progressive society. Um, in all parts of society, in business and in sport, inclusivity is now the norm. And it's taken till today for the AFL, for a club within the AFL to appoint a female CEO. It possibly won't be too long before another one's appointed. Would you like to see a more formal role in terms of uh, government legislation from boards? Uh, that's a big debate worldwide and um, if you were watching a live stream only about six weeks ago I was sitting on a global live stream on behalf of the IOC talking about exactly the same thing and um, in my mind uh, I'm not one for affirmative action as a person and an individual um, but perhaps that's because as a, as a person I found the strength to find a way through. Um, and that's, you know, fortunate in terms of what my personal makeup might be. And having been the first a couple of times probably is a demonstration of that. However, um, there are on often subconscious prejudices in society and subconscious behaviours of organisations and systems. And when you find that um, the work softly, softly to try and bring about societal change isn't working, um, that at that point is where I. I believe, um, and I've come around to the belief that on occasions affirmative action is needed. Isn't it wonderful at Hawthorne Football Club, with my appointment today, that actually brings the senior leadership team to 50-50 on a gender split? That was Tracy Gordry, the new CEO of the Hawthorne Footy Club, and thanks to Hawthorne for the audio on that. Um, it's really interesting. I saw an article come out yesterday that was published for um, the Footy Almanac and it was called Are We There Yet? And I was thinking we've spent so much time, especially recently, the podcast I've felt has been really issues heavy. We've had a lot of stuff to really unpack that's, that hurts your heart. But one thing that I thought was actually looking back, we've come a really, really long way. And something that we wanted to bring to you all today is a look at some footy literature and, and books about football, which we've all enjoyed actually retrospectively looking at. And there's no book that you could read more, and we'll get into this later, that will tell you how far we have come than um, Kappa, Full Forward. And full is spelled F-O-O-L. Um, so we'll get into that later, but the, there's... A real need for footy books. There's a real thirst for them. And there's actually a real purpose to them as well, Nicole. Yeah, especially for children. There's um, quite a – it does seem to be a way for reluctant readers to hook into reading or reconnect with reading. Um, So Alicia and I had a chat with Miffy Farkerson, who's a teacher librarian and former judge of the Children's Book Council Awards. Book of the Year, WA Premier's Book Awards, and is the current convener of the YA panel for the Orealis Awards, which are for fantasy and sci-fi. She's also a Mad Demons fan and a committed supporter of the AFLW. So have a listen to what she had to say. Thanks for joining us, Miff. Oh, thanks for having me. There seems to be a new footy book for children coming out every month, and they're often marketed at the Reluctant Reader. What is it about footy books that seems to cut through where other stories don't? Well, if you love it, you'll read it. So if it's footy that you're obsessed with, then you'll read footy books. If it's soccer that you're obsessed with, you'll read soccer books. If it's fantasy that you're obsessed with, you will read fantasy books. Particularly for younger kids, I'd remember when I was little, you know, you just... 
You read what grabs you. So, but for the reluctant reader who might not be inclined to read, has that sort of widened the opportunities for them to connect with reading? Look, I thought about this a lot and I think that it sort of stops. There's a lot for younger readers, but there's not a lot for older readers. So kids in maybe from year eight and above, there's not the um, Specky McGee's, which you can read through all late, and there's not the cricket and footy books from Michael Wagner, which you can read right through years three and four. There's not that same sort of, this is the thing I love and I can keep reading about these people. And I was thinking about this and I thought, geez, if somebody got onto the Warriors mm. TV series and serialised it a la Dance Academy, I reckon you'd make a fortune for older readers. I think you've just given me an idea, Miffy. No, <laughs> Miffy, it's Alicia here. How are you? Um, I'm wondering what different trends are happening with sports books because when I was younger, there was a different sort of trend of the rough, tough boy, and now we're seeing quite a diversity of characters. What trend are you seeing? Um, well, I think what I'm seeing is that sports now being integrated much more in realism as a just another sort of a kid in the school which mm. kind of can make it hard to market to the sporty kids because often the sporty kids have got a very clear idea of what they think sporty looks like so I was thinking of um, things like The Sidekicks by Wilkostarkis which is about three kids who are mourning the loss of their best friend and trying to reimagine their existence. And one of those kids is a gun swimmer. Mm. Now, the swimming is not the thing that drives him, but it is the, it's perhaps the hook that adults can use to get someone to read something else. And that just means that you have to be out there reading stuff. If you're an adult, putting books in hands, you need to know what's out there. Next book is a you know, on the surface, it's about footy, the whole of my world. But there's so much more in it. And you've got to pick your audience and know your book so that you can say to the sporty kid, oh, this is all about being a mad Hawthorne fan. Hawthorne, sorry, Glenthorne. Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, <laughs> Glenthorne. Um, I never, ever think of it as Glenthorne. just have to tell you, I just read right over that. And for other kids, you say this is a family story. Mm. Is that kind of one of the things that works is that if there is that focus on narrative and the sport is just sort of incidental? Oh, no, it can work both ways. It can work absolutely. It can be totally sports focused. Oh, it, this was really tricky for me to think about this for older readers because there's really not a lot out there. I came mm. with six series off the top of my head for younger readers. Specky McGee, the old girls rule boys rock series. There was heaps in the Aussies, Nibbles, Bites and Chomps, which is sadly defunct. Mm. But as far as older kids, I came up with Wavelengths by AJ Betts, which is a swimming one. And um, recently, Helen Chabet's Bro, which is about rugby in a New South Wales school. But that really focused footy book, I don't think that that's, there's that breadth out there at the moment for older readers. No, poor little loves. I wish there was more. So what's the thing you'd like to see most of all in uh, football books, sports books? Definitely, definitely more books for older kids with sport as a focus. 
Um, you've really got to search them out. Fantasy, packs of it. Romance, packs of it. You know, you can't escape it. No, yeah. Action, adventure, packs of it. But you've really got to be on the ball searching for books about sport in general. Not so much... There's quite a lot of soccer books, but they tend to come out of the UK, mm. which means that you have... It's a very niche thing. You've got to have a kid who's absolutely soccer man at mad and follows the UK and European leagues. And it doesn't have that broad appeal to Australian, particularly Victorian readers. AFL is just huge. Mm. It's huge. There's a huge market out there. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've just given us our next pitch. So <laughs> thanks for joining us, Miff. I really appreciate it. And um, I was going to say go demons, but let's not say that. Oh, this week. (laughs) Bye, Miff. Thanks. Thank you. It was great to chat to Miffy, and obviously there's a great big hole in the YA market there that I, uh, yeah, I think I've got some work to do. We've all in, uh, really loved looking back at the books that we've got on our shelves. So let's take a look at some of the stuff that we pulled out of the shelves this week. <laughs> Alicia, sometimes you got a couple stacked on your desk there. I, I do. These are the ones I loved. But I wanted to talk about when I was younger and we all have our favourites. And there was a book that I used to pick up and that was the Courage Book of VFL Finals, 1897 to 1973 <laughs> by Ron Barassi and obviously didn't read it at the time, read it many years later and it says in the intro page we at Courage Breweries respect the great traditions of the VFL its teams, its players and its supporters for this reason Courage have made this special book possible. I didn't know it was a breweries bringing it out but it has VFL finals and utilised uh, the further results pages and I'd scribbled in the results of uh, many of a, a final in the in the back pages but I didn't also know that Courage Breweries was Alan Partridge's favourite beer so <laughs> these are that is a serious product placement yeah, happening there but but such a great book and I do remember you know hearing about Jack Dyer and um, also Lou Richards books and so forth these books were just sure corkers <laughs> yeah but my favourites at the moment I just read a book The Starlings by Vivian Kelly which is an amazing book and it's about Nikki Starling and it's set in 1985 and it's his life through the year of the 1985 season Essendon Hawthorne what a year and his dad is obsessed so he lives and breathes and dies by whether his dad is happy in the grand final and uh, the finals and it's a really interesting book of course the Selwood boys at the moment um, I'm loving uh, Tony Wilson just so beautifully looking at Troy Adam Joel and Scott Selwood again that family like the Danaher's just just know how to procreate well and um, (laughs) the mighty west by Kerry Sorrigan the bulldog journey from daydream believers to premiership heroes is another really good one at the moment lucy you were looking at something that was a bit retro well i did i actually grabbed one of those jack dyer books alicia i've got a book called the tiger files volume one which was written by brian hansen with jack dyer and it really does it harks back to a time pre the internet when you couldn't access all kinds of information about you club just by getting online you would get these books and you yeah. would pour over them. And this is a pretty special book because it belonged to a Tiger fan who sadly passed away when she was much too young. And her sister was teaching my eldest son when he was about seven. And she knew that he was a Tiger fan. So she actually gave it to him. And 
he's had it for about 11 years and it still sits proudly on his bookcase. And so it's one of those little things that I look at and I go, I, I remember its um, original owner and have a little nod to her. The other part of it is that it's it really encapsulates the optimism of, you know, what is it that keeps us going back to football? It's there's usually there's well there's only one team that wins the premiership at the end of the year, but we all still keep going, and it's optimism. So um, this is a recap of the 1995 season where the Tigers won the first seven games in a row. They ultimately lost to the Cats in the prelim. At the end of that season, Northy left and Walls became coach. But the book is just brilliant because it's got all these little excerpts from Jack Dyer and it's just all about the optimism. So in the introduction, if you don't mind me reading a little bit, he talks about how basically, you know, it was a really good season. We've been set up really, really well and bring on the centenary next year. It's going to be ours. (laughs) Sadly, Richmond didn't make the finals, so it probably hasn't stood the test of time. But the other part of it that I find really interesting is that it talks about football in a way that we just don't talk about football anymore. And, you know, it's become so sanitised. And there's this one little bit, one little section where they talk about the tribunal and the section's called Reds Under the Bed. And it says, Jack Dyer blanched. Another tiger had joined the enemy. Captain Blood had made no secret of his aversion to the AFL tribunal. They're taking the manhood out of the game, was his bitter complaint. They're too squeamish by far, he snarled. It's all right for, to put the behind-the-play thugs out of the game, but they're starting to throw the babies out with the bathwater. <laughs> this game's getting more and more like basketball. It's losing its character. He finishes by saying, I don't like seeing all these Richmond blokes on the football judiciary. We'll give the club a bad name. <laughs> and I thought, that really dates it, doesn't it? You it don't. Sure no one does. talks within oh. clubs about things like that now. Did anyone have Mark Jocko Jackson's joke book, though? I didn't have a joke book, but I might have had his album. Oh. <laughs> and he, and he, I remember that song. Do you remember the oh. book Dumb Like a Fox? He co-wrote that with someone because he came out years later saying that he was essentially illiterate and um, right. and, yeah. and, and which good on him because he said that, you know, when he got Hollywood scripts and so forth, he couldn't read them. So oh, I'm going to bet a lot of the football star his, books are not written by the football stars. Just a theory. If there's any listeners out there who have that joke book, though, I'm sorry and I hope your eyes don't burn. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, your eyes burn. Eyes burning. Let's move over to Warwick Kappa, who's... The yep. um, prize-winning literary critic he is. He I'm actually is. going to guess it. He did write this book. <laughs> yeah, it does. well, no, he wrote it with Howard Cotton, whoever Howard is. So I did what you did, Lucy. I spent a bit of time, and I must thank my friend Nick, who p- compiled a, a large pile of books for me, and I. Sp- I had great fun pouring back over old books. And I was interested in the way that footy books don't stand the test of time, as you mentioned. And there are a range of reasons for that. I did, before I get to Warwick Caprochet, I I looked at John Elliott's book about sport, where he said that just when they had appointed Dennis Pagan at the end of 2002, I think it was, and he predicted that Pagan would go on to have a very successful stint as the Carlton coach. So that's a prediction that didn't quite stand the test of time. I had a look at Jason Ackermanis's book, which is actually 
actually quite candid and not as sanitised as some of those books. But the the winner really for me is Warwick Capper's Full Ford, as you said, Em. Now, I have to say, first of all, that I could do a whole pod on this because <laughs> it's just full of Would it gold. have an explicit rating? It'd have to, yeah. I can't actually read, in all seriousness, I can't actually read some of what's in here because it's actually fairly disturbing. It's so candid. But this is the first occasion where I have, I've really lamented the fact that a podcast is not a visual medium because I wish that our viewers could see some of what's in this beautiful old book as I flip the pages. Um, you know, it opens with some... Um... I'm looking at the back cover. I'm just oh, loving how yeah, the, the back... font is like bubble font. <laughs> the back cover has a picture of Warwick Capper in a bubble bath, but the bath is shaped like a clam or something and he's drinking a beer. But when you open it up, one of the very first things you Don't see... Don't think it's a clam. A, a clam or something. Uh, or something, okay? Something, something okay? clam-like. Yeah. Um, it's pink. Let's just put it that way. So one of the first things you see when you open the book, it's not a long No. Come on, I need to get through this. Okay, There's so okay, much. Okay, There's okay, so okay. much to get through. Okay, the very first page of text is, a, is accompanied by a nude photo of Warwick Kappa oh. pouting. Um, he's got his Can hair in a ponytail. Me? Here it is. <gasps> and he's got his back to turn to us. And it's one of the blue things. Steel. It's, it's an blue early steel. blue steel. Yeah, this is where Zoolander got it from. And there's some bum fuzz on display too. So no it's Photoshop. A pre-manscaping. Really <laughs> pre-manscaping, pre-Photoshop as well. Is it a peach? <laughs> it looks a bit like that, doesn't it? But it's full of uh, obviously cap, kind of, you know, traditional Kappa um, wit, if you can call it that. <laughs> he refers to himself as Captain Cucumber, an entertainment oh machine. God. He says, I was the best at taking the big marks in the last 100 years, so very modest. He calls himself a trendsetter, sexy and for women, as well as the gays. He was the complete package. <laughs> Um, he goes, one of my favourite parts of this uh, memoir, if you can call it that, is where he talks about his wedding to Joanne Kappa. He says, and my friend Nick, I didn't grow up in Victoria, but my friend Nick tells me that this is comic gold. Warwick Kappa says he's the, here that he proposed to Joanne, quote, at Rob's Restaurant in Mount Waverley, <laughs> which was the place to be in those days. Oh, every oh, every birthday. birthday. Yeah. The yeah. race girls. On the corner. I yeah. knew he looked familiar. Oh, my God. <laughs> the place to be. So one of my favourite parts. Away. Yeah. One of my favourite parts of the book, as I said, is the wedding, which he calls the real royal wedding. He spends a bit of time. You mean you know, instead of Diana and yeah, Charles? Yeah, he spends Good. some time smacking down Princess Diane and Prince Charles's wedding because he says theirs was much bigger and much better. And there's some beautiful photographs of the wedding. He looks like <laughs> Brett Michaels from Poison. That's yeah. that's what resonates with me. What The Wiz, as I'm going to call it, the Wiz is wearing white leather pants and white tails. Where's and his some cucumber? lace. <laughs> I don't know. And some lace gloves under his white tails, yeah. which are just Beautiful. He's wearing Madonna. the white lace yeah, gloves. Yeah, 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 like Madonna. Like a virgin. Like Madonna. And they had a horse and carriage that for their wedding. That is they did. But just a couple of other quick things. One thing that didn't stand the test of time is that he called Christopher Scase a fantastic guy. I thought that was a touch <laughs> <laughs> awkward. Obviously um, before he absconded with a yeah. lot of money and left and hidden. And it also there was a passage where he lamented Jeffrey Edelston's departure from Sydney, the Sydney Swans. Our listeners might remember that Jeffrey Edelston bought the Sydney Swans in the 80s and so Kappa wrote even though we didn't win a grand final we went from third bottom in 1985 to second the next year and third the following season and I don't think they being the swans will repeat those feats (laughs) (laughs) 
So that's uh, hashtag awkward from... Uh, I can't from, believe uh, you've actually read it. I, like, I read I, it all. I thought you were I just looking at all. the pictures. And look, the only final thing I'll say, I'll tweet this over the over the weekend, is that he talks about his music career, his beautiful music. He claims to have been responsible for Kylie Minogue's career. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he talks about the single that you might remember that he released back you know, many, many years ago, yep. I only take what's mine. And then another single that he released upon the release of this book in 2005 or wow. 2004 or thereabouts, mind you, which is Kappa Cabana. So that's Copa Cabana done by Warwick Kappa. Kappa style. Okay, we, we got not it, to Kate. be missed. We got it. Not to be missed. <laughs> We've really just let you go on that one, yeah. haven't we? Oh, I tell you, I could have done a whole pod on I it. I think you've picked it's up the two votes. It gold. could be a mm. Christmas special coming up, but two votes your way. We're going to change tact completely because we're going to talk about kids' literature and a book that's actually, well, a character that's actually probably been quite influential over time. Nicole? Yes, we, um, Alicia and I had the privilege of having a chat with Felice Arena, who is the author of the best-selling and award-winning Specky McGee series that he co-wrote with Gary Lyon, as well as the Farticus Maximus books and the Andy Royd and Sporty Kids series. His latest novel, The Boy and the Spy, has just been released and I can't wait to read it. Have a listen. It's hard to believe it's 15 years of Specky McGee, so your listeners might have read it when they were a little younger, perhaps. So I have a lot of uh, 23-year-olds who come up to me and go, oh, that was my childhood book. It makes me feel pretty old. Oh, okay. But it's also very nice because there's a whole new generation of young readers still reading Specky McGee, and it still holds up. It still holds up young Simon Specky McGee, an up-and-coming football champion. And it was born out of me really feeling nostalgic for Australia. I was living in England in the 90s and I was missing, uh, I was missing footy, I'm missing, you know, Aussie rules footy. And uh, I grew up in the country, in a country town in Kyabram, where Gary Lyon came from. And actually Gary and I were old schoolmates. But at that stage I had Specky on my mind for a few years and thought, wouldn't it be great to write a, a character based around Aussie rules footy? And uh, I was published in England for the first... I had published two books and then I came back home and I was actually over in England performing as an actor and working as a TV presenter and then I was published. And uh, and then on the way, on one trip back home to visit family and friends, uh, my family was still in touch with Gary's family and I, I had missed his playing years and I bumped into him for a coffee and this is way back in 1999... Mm. And said, you know what, I'm writing books these days. And he says, yes, I know, mate. And I, I hear that you're a pretty good player. I missed all his playing years. <laughs> um, reasonably good. Yeah, reasonably good. And uh, anyway, I have this idea about this young up-and-coming champion called Specky McGee. You were the Specky of our school, Gary. But it's not based on your life. And I would love for you to be a part of it somehow. And I've got to be honest, I wasn't sure if Gary could write. And I didn't want it to, he didn't want it to be a tokenistic thing. And it was just a couple of mates saying, yeah, this would be fun. That was back in 99. But we didn't get around to it until 2001. Mm. And it wasn't published until 2002. So, and the good thing about it, there, wasn't, there, were, there were agents or, or managers or publishers saying, we're going to put you two together. You're an experienced writer, you're an experienced footballer, let's do this. It was actually an organic uh, collaboration and um, and I think that's why it worked so mm. well. We're two old mates who knew each other from when we were eight years old, and I think that helped. Um, the first book took I think took Gary by surprise uh, by the response we got from it. At the time, when I pitched it to the publishers, they thought 
Specky McGee, they, they weren't really sure how Gary was going to be involved in it. And I said, initially I wanted him to write football tips. A lot of kids uh, love stats, reading the stats in the back of the pages, uh, collecting you know the ladders, collecting swap cards. I wanted that element in the, in the book. I wanted it to be fictional, but I wanted to weave that non-fiction element into the books. And, um, and I, th- I thought initially Gary could do that as the football expert, but he really wanted to, to develop the characters with me and develop the plot line and the storyline. So we would get together with a whiteboard and say, OK, what's chapter one, chapter two, where are we going to take Specky? Yeah. And it was, I think it was a learning process for him. I actually took the role of coach for Gary in that sense, even though he likes to act like big brother all the time. It was uh, it was a learning experience for him. So when I pitched to the publishers, they weren't quite sure. There was nothing out like it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially they were pitching it. They said, well, this would be good for boys and reluctant boy readers. And that's how they pitched it. But I've got to say, it wasn't just the boys that picked up the book. No. It was the girls as well. The letters that came in those first six months or first years when, people, when kids used to write letters back before <laughs> they, they could, could just... <laughs> Actually, before they could use social media to get yes, in contact with yes. you these days, a lot of fan mail or fan letters come through social media, yep. through Instagram or tw- Twitter, saying, I like your books. But back then, they would actually write a letter and send it off to you, and most of them would come from, from girls. I've seen you do many things, uh, many events, and the girls are always lined up ready to have a kick and yeah. handball with you. No, and I, and I wanted that in the book as well. Mm-hmm. I remember creating uh, characters that wasn't just based on Specky and... Uh, and him being a champion, it was based. It was a, a sort of mateship book, mm. and one of his best mates was a girl called Christina, and there was another best mate called Tiger Girl, and I wanted the coach to be a female. In the second book, I think that took Gary by surprise. I said, "Okay, we're going to get rid of this coach. We're going to bring in a new coach, and she's going to be." He said, "What?" I said, "Well, yeah, I want a female coach." He wasn't against it. I think he was acting as devil's advocate. And he said, well, what, what do you, why? I said, I think, why, why not? Mm. Why can't we open it up a little bit? And there was actually a storyline there where Christina and, and Tiger Girl were a little bummed out that they couldn't play. They can go to a certain level, you know, mm-hmm. 12 to 13 years, and that yeah. was it back then. And now, how fantastic. I imagine Tiger Girl is pretty happy. I mean, I tweeted about that the other day. Yeah. T- Tiger Girl and Coach Pate smiling ear to ear yeah. with what's happened finally, you know? Yeah, with the women's footy. Yeah, know. exactly. Yeah, a lot of Tiger Girls out there, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of, so when you, that did come about, um, there were, as you say, there wasn't really much footy, you know, there wasn't much writing about footy. Oh, um, sports in general. Sports, sports in general for kids Sports fiction. And, and I often say, so growing up in a country town, as most people would know, um, a lot of the social growing happens in and out and around sporting clubs, even if you're not into sport. And I was quite intimate with the language. I played a lot of sport growing up um, in Kyabram and part of the swimming club, uh, footy club, soccer club. For the ones who read Specky McGee, they know that it was more than just football. Mm. It was about how he dealt with life off the off the field. Mm, and the mateship around it. And the too, mateship around it, Which yeah. is a really big part of sport, and I think something we're seeing with the women's competition, the friendships and... Yeah, we're all... We're, we're hungry for that community again, yeah. aren't we? That connection. And family, and yeah. family connection again. Yeah. And, and loving footy for what it was, that grassroots footy. And I think that's what we've got with uh, AFL Women's. Yeah. A lot of your, your books sort of have kind of changed, have, have represented things ahead of society is that a deliberate aim like you know having the female coach and having the girls like girls being depicted as I think players the great big... thing about writing for children and that generation mm. coming up you get to see what's coming right as a writer 
we're in the trenches, and you know that as well, going out to schools and visiting teenagers and, and young readers. You get to see other things that society probably doesn't get to see every day. Teachers get to see it, mm-hmm. um, but I got to see it. And a lot of my feedback and a lot of my ideas come from my school visits. And actually that year before, the year before Specky McGee came out, I actually trialled run some of the writing and tested it out by getting kids to act out the parts, the Specky McGee parts, and the best bits and the, the, huge, the things where the, I had a huge reaction, I would, I would keep that in the book. Um, so I had a feeling a year before the book was published that there's something happening here. They're reacting. There's uh, a huge reaction to what I'm reading or, or, or trialling out. Mm. And, um, and I said this to Gary leading right up to the publication. I said, you know, I've been out there. They don't even, Specky's not even published, but they're enjoying hearing about a kid called Specky McGee. They can see themselves in this, char- uh, in this character. And I think that's the big thing as well. Um, I often say that books are like mirrors or windows or a little of both. A mirror book is a book that reflects your own world um, and a window looking out to another world or a little of both. Specky was definitely a mirror book for so many kids and they mm. didn't have that book to reflect their own world. You've got so many things on the ball. You're so talented in so many areas. Uh, is there anything on the horizon, perhaps with a female footy player? I get that all the time. I do. Uh, are you going to do something with Tiger Girl? Are you going to perhaps use the main character? I would love to. I, I, I think I've moved on to other things now and other stories that uh, sort of reflect who I am in the last 10 years or so. That's not to say I don't love sport and footy, and I really do, and I try to inject that in all my stories, that movement element. But in terms of uh, a female character, who knows? Perhaps there is room to bring Tiger Girl. Perhaps we should hear her story. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not sure. She's a cool character. She was a cool character, and, and part of me Instagram thought. She's on Instagram now, for sure. <laughs> she's on Instagram for sure. And yeah. wouldn't it be great to? Wouldn't it be great uh, to have Tiger Girl and uh, to go back and hear her thoughts throughout the Specky years? What was she thinking from her? What was her perspective mm. of the whole? Specky world, yeah, which would absolutely. be really great. I mean, we're talking about kids and footy. Yeah. What about adults and footy? What about the spectator's point of view? I've often, I've often loved gone, gone to the footy and I've jotted down the supporters around me and their dialogue mm. because you can't find it anywhere else in the world. And I've just chuckled to myself, I smiled to myself, I giggled because the characters you could sit among and I thought, wouldn't that be a great mm. book? Just getting perspective of overhearing what the supporters say. Thanks a lot to Felice for having a chat to us and really he just pioneered that whole genre of, of books for kids. He did and then you guys brought out the Footy Girls Guide which I have to do a massive like kudos to you guys because I saw Uncanny Annie, so Annie Nolan who is the amazing and beautiful footy commentator in her own right who is also married to Liam Picken. Um, she obviously had Katie, Brennan and Mel Hickey over for dinner and they were reading that book to her children. Oh my God, best moment ever. I and I best. went like this, the surf Circle of life. <laughs> so Don't anyway, it's been a big week. It has been a big week. Can I, can I do a quick shout out to a book called The Hard Way, which is actually about the Hawthorne Footy Club. So I won't bang on about that because it's just all about all our success and yada, yada, yada and how good we are and all that kind of stuff. But um, I did an assignment from one of my um, projects at school and I remember completely plagiarising that book for my (laughs) assignment, which I probably was going to do quite well on, though there was an oral part to that Assessment. um, assessment. And so what I chose to do was 
bust into the uh, classroom and I hadn't given the teacher a heads up of what I was doing for my actual presentation. So I just basically waited till the whole class was in the room. Then I just went in and started yelling at them and pretending <laughs> I was the coach and pretended I was Alan Jeans and just started yelling and throwing chalk at the blackboard and doing all the things that I imagined a coach would do. And it was going, I thought it was going quite well because chutzpah is us. And um, I was just going for it. And the, a lot of the um, students were just giggling and didn't know what to make of it. And But I knew it hadn't gone so well when the teacher said, Emma, that's enough. <laughs> what mark did you get? I can't remember. I remember being red for about five hours after that. I was so head up. I, you know, I had a head full of steam. I was really getting you into it. I was acting. totally going the Alan Jeans on them. But half of them don't even watch football. Like I was at an all-girls school. Don't think that there was like any guys in there who knew, you know, they weren't helping the situation. It was just a room full There's of women. Nothing who... like performance poetry on people who don't expect it. Didn't expect it. And there was a lesson learned. And didn't enjoy it. Didn't know that they needed a rev up. Not not in third period. No, they didn't. No, they did not. But that's my passion talking. So let's talk about the VFL women's because it comes back this week. Imagine them all getting on the ground. So Darabin play um, Melbourne Uni this week. And I can't imagine. There must be like, I'm doing the maths on the fly. Must be 23 players on the ground who all played in the um, AFLW. Something like that. Because there are 14 AFLW players playing for Darabin. Mm-hmm. And Melbourne Uni has 16. Oh, wow. So, so there are actually 104 AFLW players who will be playing across all of the VFL women's teams kicking off this weekend. Thank so you, exciting. Bruce McAvaney. Yeah, oh, someone it. has to bring the rigour. <laughs> so thanks, Mrs. Rigger. So that will be amazing. But I think that it will be interesting to see how many people get around those clubs and get down and watch those games because you're going to see the superstars, but you'll see them up close and in a very personal and suburban setting. We went to two jump presentations in two days over the last couple of, uh, in the last five days, which was kind of nuts. We went to Darabin and it was amazing. There was such a beautiful vibe there and it was a real celebration of bringing the girls back into the club and the girls looked really happy to be there, didn't you think, Lou? I really did and it was lovely to watch them also unfurl their premiership flag, so that was pretty exciting. Just to see the pride, I think, and, um, and that, club is clearly just in their hearts and that Are you was really allowed obvious. to go there anymore I hope so it's a really tricky one and it's so funny because when we when Hawthorne didn't have a women's license and everyone was saying who are you going to go for and I thought that would be the really hard call it wasn't it's so hard for me to choose someone but what was really tricky is that my heart really is with Darabin and I've loved that I've been loving that club you know for a full 12 months now because I'm a total <laughs> bad wagon jumper but I must spend a fit fair bit of time down at the club and then to get the number one ticket holder spot at Hawthorne and knowing that these two teams will go up against each other I've just at Box Hill I should say I've just had to accept that I can have more than one child and love them all equally Mm -hmm. yeah that's actually a lie but go on we'll go with it do you hear want to say which child you love more (laughs) (laughs) so we'll be um, going along to the Box Hill Hawks game in Geelong this weekend but um, get along if if there's things that you want to if there's People that you wanted to see up close and personal, but you got locked out, you know, at Princess Park. This is your opportunity to get Absolutely. up close. <clears throat> the other big game on this weekend is the Pride Cup up in uh, Yarra Glen. Um, so that's, I think, between Yarra Glen and Yay. Um, it's the, the event that's run every year up there. And it's a whole day out. It starts at 8.55 and there's football, netball, 
women's games, men's games, all sorts of things. I was also just going to do a quick shout out because um, a listener had got in touch with us just to um, highlight a little story out of the Northern Football League, which has already had two rounds, I think. Um, but there's a great story at Bendigo Thunder of Andrea Walsh, who was a WNBL player who had won a Siebel Most Valuable Player back in 2003. She's 40. Um, she's running around with girls who could be her daughters. She's kicked 11 goals in the first two matches. Oh, so well done, Ooh. Andrea. And we will be looking out for her. She's also got some pretty strong football bloodlines because her father, Brian, played um, 115 VFL games for Carlton and Essendon. So Carlton might even want to look at um, getting her next year. Yeah. And I'm just looking forward to watching the significant drop in quality of sports football journalism this weekend in honour of the fact that the Fairfax media are on strike. So just a little nod to those amazing people leading the charge. If we're talking about newspapers and writing and VFL Women's, I feel that this is my opportunity to just really fall on my sword and say that on the back of the number one ticket holder announcement, I wrote a tweet... It was mis- It had a rogue apostrophe. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh, I've been rocking in a corner and I'm just so glad that there's no way Sam Mitchell will well, have read it. So he we, won't know. But I just want to apologise on behalf of everyone and apostrophe lovers all the world round. I'm, I'm gl- sorry. I'm glad you've I'll done that because I, I feared that there was a chance that Box Hill might actually revoke Mm. the uh, number one ticket holder status for all of us once they saw that rogue apostrophe. I have nothing to do with her. (laughs) um, And just on the back of the Pride, the Pride game is this weekend, but there is another Pride game coming up in the VFL Women's and that is between the Melbourne Uni Girls and Darabin. It's going to be played in Hamilton on the 17th of June, I think is the date. But if you want to buy the rainbow jumpers, you've got to get on board and make your order or whatever that is that you have to do. So we've put the links to that on all of our social media. To close the show today, though, what have you got there? for us, Alicia, sometimes? We could do footy books and albums forever. 1981 was a highlight in VFL with Footy Favourites album. It had Wayne Schimmelbush doing 20 Miles, Barry Round doing Little Genie, Tim Watson, Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town, <laughs> Trevor Barker, Bless His Soul, I Can See Clearly Now. It is a who's who of Please Don't Sing. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, uh, what about Danny Frawley with Danny Boy? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Why did Wayne Schimmelbush do the nut? <laughs> but Michael Moncrief is who we'll go out with, and this is so wrong. Don't stand so close to me. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Don't stand, don't stand so, don't stand so close to me. Don't stand, don't stand so, don't stand so close to me. Don't 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.